Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 10. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. I do not believe God wants me to look to the world to get, to get that kind of you know, money into the church to build God's house. I don't feel that way. Is that the best clapping y'all can do? I, I think you can clap better than that. And I just honestly feel like the Lord wants me to just trust him. Don't get me wrong. It ain't easy. It's not easy. It's difficult, actually. Because your flesh wants to do its thing, to do what it needs to do to make it happen, baby. Come on, make it happen. Do it, do it, do it. You got to make it happen. You, 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 you got to make it happen. Come on, flesh, do your thing. Oh, you know some people call these people, do this, do that, do that. And God is saying, no, 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 no. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Don't you do anything. Don't you do anything. Rodney, you just wait on me. And then when when the building is built and we're sitting there, we're worshiping God, I can honestly stand at that platform and say, to God be the glory, great things he has done. I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. It's God's house, and God's people should care enough about God's house to give to it. And they should, according to scriptures, care as much about God's house as they care about their own house. Read Haggai. I was reading it today, chapter 1 and chapter 2. God told the people in Haggai that they weren't prospering and they, they wouldn't prosper. Listen to me. That they wouldn't prosper, God said, because you made money, God says, and I blew it out of your hands. You looked for much, and it became little. Why? You were looking for rain, and I called a drought. Haggai 2.9, because God said my house was in ruins while every one of you runs to your own house, and it's nice. God says my house is in ruins, and your house is nice. Therefore, whatever you do to try to make money, I'm going to let that money get right through your fingers. You're not going to be able to prosper because your priorities are not right. And I think that when our priorities are right, then God will prosper us. That's why we've always kept, no matter what, no matter what, we've always kept the priority of just teaching verse by verse through the scriptures. No matter what storms have come and gone. No matter what winds have blown and no matter 
who, what Satan has sought to come against us and whatever weapon Satan has pulled out of his bag of tricks to try to come against us. All I know is if I just stay close to this book, please, somebody hear me. If I come just stay close to this book, and this applies to you too, you stay close to this book no matter what comes, no matter what goes, God will prosper you. God will advance you. God will fight your battles. You don't have to fight your battles. God will fight your battles. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. But what we have to do is do what we know to do, and that is stay close to the word of God and continue going through the scriptures, continue reading the Bible. Satan tries to get you off course and, and try to call you down to the valley of oh no. Were you here? Chapter six. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, come down here. Come on down here. Oh, stop building. Stop, you know, on the wall. You got a trowel in one hand, a sword in the other. Come on down to the valley of oh no. You know what I told you? When Satan tells you to come down to the valley of oh no, you say, oh no. We better move on. Right living, right relationships. Point number three, I have more to say, but we better move on. Rest right, because I want to tell you this. Rest right. Look at verse 31. If the peoples of the land bought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath. Now they promised to keep the Sabbath. The Jewish people went into Babylonian captivity. You know this for 70 years because for 490 years, they failed to observe the Sabbath year. In other words, they didn't observe that seventh year Sabbath rest So God said, Israel, you owe me a debt and I'm going to collect. God allowed them to go into captivity for 70 years. 70 times seven or seven times 70 is 490. And every seventh year, they had several responsibilities. If someone was working for you to pay off a debt in the seventh year, you were to forgive that debt according to Deuteronomy 15. In the seventh year, if you were a farmer for six years, you could till the ground and plant. In the seventh year, you couldn't touch the land. You had to let it go, grow fallow. And then uh, the foreigners and the poor and the orphans were allowed to come and help themselves to your land. So God said you had to allow the land to rest in the seventh year and you couldn't plant again until going into the eighth year. That meant every sixth year, listen, Every sixth year, you had to trust the Lord to produce twice as much than any other year. So whatever you reaped in the sixth year would hold you over to the eighth year. Did you get that? And think about it. The same was true when they gathered manna. They gathered for six days. They weren't allowed to gather on the Sabbath. So on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much and twice as much came down. And if you gathered twice as much any other day, the manna would stink and you couldn't eat it. So think about it. There was a miracle in their lives on a weekly basis. And there was also a miracle every seventh year. Now, in the New Testament, the Sabbath is not mandated upon the church to rest. Although there are those who insist that it is. And they call themselves Seventh-day Adventists. And even those who call themselves Sabbath observers really aren't. First of all, the Sabbath begins from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. 
If you observe the Sabbath, you have to work six days a week. God says six days thou shalt work and the seventh thou shalt rest. So if you're not to, you're not to observe the Sabbath unless you've worked six days a week. If you keep the Sabbath, you have to allow your land to rest every seventh year. Ezekiel, Exodus 31, 13. The Sabbath is a sign between Israel and God. So there's a lot that goes into keeping the Sabbath and not just resting on Saturday. The church, if you look at the church historically, beginning in the book of Acts, you'll find that the church was never obligated to keep the Sabbath. In the book of Acts, the church met on Sunday because they loved Jesus. They met on Sunday because Jesus resurrected on Sunday. They met on Sunday for prayer and praise and fellowship and teaching. And the church did not meet on Sunday out of law, but out of love for Jesus. And the important thing, listen, is not what day you meet, but that you meet. Remember in Hebrews, we say, Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake to assemble yourself together as is the manner of some. So it's not important what day you meet so much as that you meet. Romans 14, 5, Paul said this, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. That's me. I don't have a Sabbath. I esteem every day as the Lord's. God wanted, yeah, I'll wait while you clap your hands. God wanted, notice, a tenth of their increase, but a seventh of their time. God was more interested in them. God is always more interested in the servant rather than the service. I think the important thing is not what day you keep, but do you have a day that you are quiet before the Lord? I have a day I'm quiet before the Lord. It's Monday. It's a day I'm forced to be quiet before the Lord because I'm really tired from Saturday and three services on Sunday. So God says, because God knows me, I'm way too hyper. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a day I know me. So God says, okay, you're going to have to take a day, and it's Monday. Monday is my day to just lay on the couch and look at the ceiling and say, why, God, why? <laughs> or my day to lay on the couch, look at the ceiling and say, that sanctuary is coming. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. But it's my day of rest. That's the day I just, you know, it's my quiet time. But, you know, in the culture we live in, and here's what I want you to take away from this point here. In the culture we live in, you have to be uh, intentional about your quiet time. Because, you know, in the culture of social media and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all of these things and the Internet, you've got to be intentional about your quiet time before the Lord. You've got to kind of go around and turn things off just to get quiet before the Lord. Even some here right here right now thinking, what you going to do at the church? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But your mind's always going and you're always thinking, you know, what am I going to do? Where I got to go? I got to be here. I got to be there. I got to do this. I got to do that. I think Satan has got the world distracted and got the church distracted. I was talking to his uh, brother, I think it was a sister on Sunday, and she was telling me that uh, the church she came from, the preacher mentioned that he could only preach a sermon for 25 minutes because it, the people get antsy, and they, they get antsy, and they're, like, ready to go, and they, they can, he can tell by the way they're sitting in the seats, and they're, you know, they're shutting their Bible at 25 minutes and doing like this, and, you know, and... Or maybe, you know, (laughs) 
man. I'm like, wow, they would go crazy here. I preach an easy 50 minutes. Catch me on a good day, about an hour. Catch me on a really good day, two, three. I mean, you could be here for a long time. Not that long. That's because our minds are so distracted. We could sit down and watch a movie for three hours, but we can't listen to the word for 45 minutes. Doesn't something strike you as wrong about that? You can't listen to God's word. Christian, who's filled with the Holy Spirit and that with fire. You can't listen to God's word for 45 minutes and pay attention. But you watch a movie and you be like, shh, shut up. Do not speak on this part. Get out, get out, get out. Pause, 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 pause. Get out. All right, where you at? Stand up. I want you to, I want, I want to acknowledge you in the house of the Lord. <laughs> it's nuts. Okay, our final point, right? Responsibilities in verses 32 through 39. We won't read it again. Peruse with me. Notice the phrase house of our God is used nine times in eight verses. The people were promising to do what is right and to follow God's priorities by living right and having right relationships and resting right by keeping the Sabbath. But now they're showing that they have their priorities right with right responsibilities. Fast forward to verse 39. Go ahead and look at it. We will not neglect the house of our God. Now, remember, I told you some weeks ago that Jerusalem was more than brick and mortar. Jerusalem is an institution of God. Jerusalem is a city of the great king. Jerusalem has a spiritual legacy and a spiritual future. Jerusalem symbolically proclaimed the power and the presence of God among his people. Now, in the remainder of our text, uh, there's some awesome series of promises in this section. Perhaps if you got your pen, you might want to jot a few down that talk about supporting the work of God and how we're to support the work of God and how we're to give to the work of God. And I'm going to give you six areas of giving to the work of God. First of all, their giving in our text was responsible. It was responsible. In verse 32 and verse 35, it says the phrase, we made ordinances. It means we assume responsibility. They owned it and they gave what they owned because they saw it as their privilege. So they gave responsibly. Secondly, it was obedient giving, not only responsible giving, but the second area, obedient giving. Again, in verse 32, it tells us as it is written in the law. It wasn't coerced giving. It wasn't impulsive giving. It was practical obedience. Verse 34 and 36 tell us, as it is written in the law, God was good to them. And God expected them to be good to each other. Did you hear me? God was good to them and he expected them to be good to each other. There was nothing remotely optional about giving in the Old Testament and New Testament, nothing. Everyone was required to give in one form or another. The third point, their giving needed to be systematic. 
not only responsible and obedient giving, but also systematic giving. There was nothing haphazard about their giving. Verse 32 says that they were to bring a third of the shekel each year. Verse 34, are you listening? Says lots were drawn to determine where families, when families were to bring a contribution of wood at set times each year. Verse 35 tells us that first fruits were brought each year. There was orderliness about their offerings and a system that was followed. The people knew precisely what was expected of them. Not only systematic, but also, number four, proportionate in verse 34. If you were too poor to bring first fruits of anything, then you could bring wood. Did you get that? Which was needed to keep the sacrificial fires burning. Everyone, regardless of income, could gather wood and take it to the temple. Remember, I think it was last week or the week before, we talked about Leviticus 5. If you were too poor and you couldn't afford to offer a blood sacrifice, you could offer two handfuls of grain as a sin sacrifice. So not only systematic and proportional and obedient and responsible, but also, number five, It was to be sacrificial, their giving. Verse 35, they were to bring the first fruits. To offer the first fruits of their crops was to declare that God is the giver of all things. Everything belongs to him. Is there a witness in the house? Everything belongs to him. And he is worthy of the best we can give. Everyone can't give the same amount. Everyone can make the same sacrifice. Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. Did you get that? Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. Mother Teresa said, if you give what you do not need, it isn't giving. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, I don't believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than you can spare. Don't you love that? Sacrificial giving. Number six, it was prescribed in verse 37. Verse 37 says they were to bring the first fruits of their dough, our offerings, their offerings, the first fruits from the trees and the new wine, the oil to the priest, to the storehouse. They were to bring the tithe of the land to the Levites, the priest or to the church. The priests were to bring the tithe into the storehouse so God's house won't be neglected. Now, if you've been around here at Calvary Chapel, you know, I do not believe, listen to me close and we'll come in for a landing right around here. I do not believe that the New Testament teaches tithing. I do believe the New Testament teaches giving, which for some is more than tithing. You're like, oh, darn. For some it's more than tithing. It's giving. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come, Paul says to the church at Corinth. Paul says, lay something aside the first day of the week. That's every week. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. You want to write these down? 1 Corinthians 16, 2. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly 
or of necessity, for God loves, anybody know the rest? A cheerful giver. In other words, we should have great joy in giving to the Lord. Say amen. And it should be something we do cheerfully. Say amen. And we should give according to ability. Again, we can all give something. I remember some time ago, remember I talked about if everybody in the church, if everyone in this church, every adult gave $20. Now, plenty of you give more. And please continue. (laughs) But what I'm saying, if everyone gave $20, there would never be a financial need in this church. Never. If every adult gave $20. A week, yeah. I ain't talking about a year. (laughs) Tell me somebody thought I meant a year. I'm like, no, you didn't. No, yes, sweetie. Yes, sweetie, a week. Uh, what did I say? They didn't think it was a month. They thought it was a week. I said earlier, every week. Can y'all not hear? Interpret. Twenty bucks a week. Not a year, not a month. Amen. We give according to ability. And listen, let me just kind of insert this. I really don't believe giving on your credit card is giving according to your ability. You ain't never going to hear a preacher say that. They'll say, I'll get that money anyway. You give it to us. We do not care. Just give it up. Give up the dough. And we ain't talking about the one in scripture either. <laughs> uh-uh. No, I, I really don't. I, I don't think, put it on your, not unless, let me just preface that with this. Not unless you're one to like do all your bills on your credit card as some people do and then they pay it off at the end of the month. That's okay. Because that's kind of the way you're doing things for air miles or something like that, which I think is a great idea actually. And um, because you get the air miles or you're doing points or whatever it is that you're doing in your finances, fine. But if you're giving and you're, you know, you're making payments on your credit card, I, I, I don't see that as giving you know, according to your uh, ability. Talking about prescribed giving, write this down, Deuteronomy 16, 10. Then you shall keep the feasts of weeks of the Lord, you, your God, with the tribute of free will offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord, your God, blesses you. Verse 17 of Deuteronomy 16. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessings of the Lord, your God, which he has given you. And if you don't want to give to God, listen, you don't have to give to God. You should, because you get blessed when you do. But if you don't give to God, the Bible says God owns a cattle of a thousand hills. You will not hinder the work of God because you don't give to God. I am so happy about that. You will not hinder God's work. When you give, you get to give. And you're a blessing to the kingdom. And I'll encourage you. Let's be like the people in our text. Let's decide to get back to living according to the Bible. That's what's going on here in chapter 10. And care about the house of God. Care about the things of God. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. Let's determine to be like the believers in chapter 10. We will not neglect the house of God. Amen. And the people took four vows because they understood what it meant. 
to be committed to their God. They were grateful to be back in the land and to have a church to worship in. So they made promises. People are people. So turn with me to chapter 13. I'm going to leave you right here. Look at chapter 13, verse 11. People are people. Make promises. So Nehemiah says in verse 11, if you're looking at it, say amen. Amen. So I contended with the rulers and I said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and I set them in their place. Just two chapters later, after all this vow committing and Lord, we are going to obey you, God. (laughs) Nehemiah says, why have you forsaken the house of God? Why? Because people are people. We have to be intentional about the things of God. Amen? You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.